Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. Buy and sell tickets in two taps on your phone, everything fully guaranteed. NBA fans, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. All you have to do is use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Get a real mortgage approval in minutes and adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time. That's Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Mortgage confidently to get started. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing letter. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. We're brought to you by the Ringer NFL Show. If you missed it, I was on there. This week, talking about the big Patriots trade with Tate Frazier and Mike Lombardi, we are brought to you by TheRinger.com, where you can find my column every Friday, usually about the NFL, sometimes with emails. And if you want to send emails for the mailbag, all you have to do is send, a, send us an email at the, the mailbag at TheRinger.com. So there you go. And if you missed a couple of BS podcasts we did this week, we had Cousin Sal on Monday, and then Janice Min, Smart Gal Wednesday. She talked about her days at Us Weekly, Hollywood Reporter, um, Harvey Weinstein, Jan Wenner. It was it was a lively one. She was a great guest. I would I would highly recommend carving out a little time for that one. So coming up, we talk movies. Sean Fennessy, Wesley Morris. We talk about the state of the movie industry and all the weird movies that have come out this year and how bleak things are. And also, after that. Tom Haverstrow, my old ESPN teammate. I talked to him actually for uh, almost 50 minutes, and we're running that on the Ringer NBA show in its entirety. But we ran the last 23 on this podcast uh, at the tail end. So that's coming up after Sean and Wesley. But first, Pearl Jam. Here with Sean Fennessy, Ringer Editor-in-Chief, our old Grant Line teammate, Wesley Morris. Hi! Pulitzer Prize winner, host of Still Processing, occasional writer for the New York Times. I'm more than, well, I mean, at least, at least in the next, like the past couple of weeks, I've been more than an occasional writer. Hi! Full-time writer. Full-time writer! <laughs> I, mean, I just miss writing, reading you all the time. Uh... Yeah, well, that's a different. I liked thing. reading you all the time. Like reading, I like you having you in my life three times a week is a different. Yes, that's not happening. I don't feel so like much. I should be a present under the Christmas tree every time you write. I'm just used to you. It should be. I'm not like on quite it. like my morning coffee. <laughs> it was never that. No, it was never that. It's never as good as the morning coffee. There's so much old stuff to go back to, though. Too, you know, you, if you want to reread anything, that's a, true. A you have very good archives. That's very. That's very, very good archives. That's fair. There is there is the past, but no, I'm trying to get back to like two times a week. That is. Is that a promise? Yeah. Right, I mean, okay. I'm I'm almost there right we now. We need you more than ever because this is the worst movie season of all time. Isn't it? What do we do? I don't How know. How does Stranger Things dwarf the? Dwarf? Did I say that right? Dwarf. dwarf. You got it. Dwarf. I've always that's my Boston speech impediment. It dwarfed every single movie that came out in October. I don't ever remember that happening before. We knew Netflix was a power, but, but Stranger Things was more important than any movie released in October. How do we know that? 
We don't know it metrically. Resonance. But culturally, yes. But we know conversationally. Yes, yes. The anticipation for what happened last week was much higher than it was for Suburbicon. Like, Get Out was a moment where it was like you felt like you had to see Get Out. Not just because you love movies, but because people were talking about it and you were Mm -hmm. left out of the conversation. Which is normally how movies work. And it would work that way 20, 22 times a year, maybe. And now it's like September, October. What conversation is that happening about what movie? Well, I mean, there's a number of ways to think about what the Oscars are going to be like in well, February. Well, then the, whole, the Weinstein right. lens. Too, I mean, yeah. the actual broadcast is going to be one very strange and, un- and unknowable experience. We'll have a preview of it at the Golden Globes, but the Golden Globes will have TV. Right. Right. So they'll also have TV that is like weirdly in conversation with whatever this moment is you'll have handmaid's tale probably you'll have big little lies probably so the oscars i mean first of all like what are your what are your even potential best picture nominees at this point are they gonna get to five movies remember when america cared about the nominees yeah i think it's gonna be hard to get them to care i mean obviously i think get out is is from what we've seen not a front runner but it's a contender Dunkirk. Dunkirk is probably the leading contender right now. The other movies are mostly things that we haven't seen yet. Um, Call Me By Your Name, which is a gay coming-of-age story coming out right it's, after. I mean, it's really good, but, yeah. I mean, are you going to get enough people to make it number one on your ballot? I don't know. I mean, would I you have said that about Moonlight? You know, I, I think there's some feeling. I mean, I, eventually I would have figured it out, but, yeah, Call Me By Your Name. No, you, I don't ca- know. you called out Moonlight way before. I didn't, hadn't even heard anyone talk about it yet, but, like, I need that Army Hammer movie to work because I have all this Army Hammer stock from 2010. <laughs> yeah, you and Amanda Dobbins. That, she also is holding a lot. That Under Armour is like my two stocks that sunk the lowest. I need that movie to make it. I think this the, the movie that is probably going to be most reflective conversationally about what's been happening in the world with Donald Trump, but also with Harvey Weinstein, and the, just the notion of reporting is probably the Steven Spielberg movie, The Post, the Post yeah, which is coming out in December, which is about uh, essentially the Watergate story unfolding at the Washington Post. And, you know, you can feel the spotlight Does anyone under 30 care about that? I, but I think you can just feel the spotlight-esque narrative around, like, the value and the necessity of, of journalism. journalism. Yeah. Right. And there will be a... And, you know, it's Steven Spielberg, Meryl Streep, and Tom Hanks together, which has never happened. So that's a very traditional Oscar narrative to look towards. Aside from that, though, there's just not a lot of enthusiasm because movies are in a, they're in a weird spot. They're in a weird spot. They're in a weird spot in that there's no... I mean, the thing that you guys, I've talked to you guys about on a number of occasions is just like the the shrinking middle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now it's gone. Yeah. There's no, the middle is all on TV. It is literally a television show. And where <laughs> all of that style of entertainment production is actually gone. And it doesn't exist in the movies anymore. Like I, I was reading the Biskin book because the Harvey thing. Which we one? didn't know if we were going to do Down and Dirty Pictures, okay. which is basically about Miramax and Indie Scene. Right. And as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, they wouldn't make that one. Nope. That's not happening. Nope. Shakespeare in Love, no way. You just go nope. through Goodwill Hunting, not happening. No, just, I mean, it's an entire decade of movies that would not be made in 2017. I mean, just, I mean, you know, you know what my Bill, you know what my baseline would never get made now movie is. Which is Tequila Sunrise, right? <laughs> like, Tequila Sunrise for me is the perfect example of a movie that is only designed to get people to go to the movies. It doesn't want to win anything. It doesn't want to do anything more than the, like, trashy thing it intends to do. Like, Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell get to, like, have sex scenes with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, She gets to, like, 
B. Michelle Pfeiffer. There's a sunset a lot. There's a sunset a lot. Sunrise you've got, a few you've times. got a you've got a pretty decent script by a really good screenwriter. It just is. It's just like a perfect Hollywood movie that doesn't want anything more than to be a pretty good movie. Period. But does, so, a, does American Beauty get made now? Uh, I hope uh, not because I hate American. No, Beauty. I hate American Beauty too. But no, probably not. Well, for myriad reasons now. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Any number of reasons. You know what doesn't get made? American Beauty too. Yeah. Yeah. No, but. I mean, but there, there is a, there is an entire, you know, I mean, again, so if we're going to stay on movies that that at least Sean and I don't like, they probably wouldn't get made now. Crash wouldn't get made now. Right. I mean, how would I have learned to how to feel about racial relations? There, there is a, a I don't know. You have to crash. There's a YouTube channel I, for that. I'm, I'm white, sure. I'm right. a white person who needs to understand. <laughs> The relationship between blacks and whites better crash. Help me! I um, needed a car crash. Well, and you Matt wouldn't... Dillon, as a cop, who's he's actually not that evil, <sighs> tried to help her in the end. That's Self, a tough rewatch. That self-important mid-tier really... dramas are gone. That's Suburbicon, not, that's not a thing. Suburbicon might be the last. Right. Does Brokeback Mountain last... get made? <sighs> no. I no. think it just depends. You know, it's like who's paying for it. Who's that's, paying? That's the big question. Where's the money coming from? For sure. But also think about this. If the post manages to do all of the things that based on its pedigree, source material, etc., it'll it can probably do in terms of people wanting to see it and people at the academy needing something to feel good about. Yeah. This is probably going to be the thing. But also just think about who's making it. There's a whole generation yeah, of team. filmmakers that don't exist, right? There is no there's no young Spielberg. There's young imitation Spielberg. There's like the the um, imitation crab meat of of Spielberg, like those guys, the Stranger Things guys. Right. You know, there's lots of knockoff Spielberg, but there's no, there's no. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson. What is he? Fifty. Yeah. Gonna be fifty. Forty-eight. I, I think. I just think that. I mean, there are maybe two or three people you can point to as being part of some other generation of American filmmakers that have interesting things to say and, and, and ideas, right? Barry Jenkins, Trey Schultz. Uh, Put the La La Land guy in there. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why people glommed on to Chazelle and, and right. Barry Right, Damien so Chazelle, he's a, he's a real filmmaker. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, I think if you if you if you if you go back even ten years to like classes of like Vanity Fair could take a picture of you know twelve people and say this is your this is the next twenty five years in Hollywood movies you couldn't do that now I was thinking about that during the Spielberg doc when oh god I never realized that those dudes all hung out together like that yeah. That's was actually George really... Lucas, Coppola, Spielberg, Scorsese, De Palma, and then who was the fifth guy that I was like, wow, he was in there? Coppola, Paul Schrader, Schrader. Paul Schrader. Now there was a fifth guy. I can't think of it, but De Palma mm. was like, he's probably watching that, going, yeah, I was, I was telling you, I was neck and neck with those guys. <laughs> See, yeah. but and all those guys, they love movies and they were all competitive with each other. And I, I don't know if directors are directors competitive with each other now. I didn't like that That's Jenkins it. and. Chazelle like became buddies from this whole thing. It's like I want those guys. Well, to Well, it's not worth it anymore. Like, what's right. the point? In, what's the point in fighting? A few. Their lanes. Their lanes shall never meet. Yep. Do you know what I mean? True. It's not like anything Damien Chazelle wants to do. Barry Jenkins is going to be interested in, and even if they are, 
you you got to think that they'll just figure out a way to work it out. But I don't see any signs that that's really going to be an issue. There are not enough colleagues to, to have enemies. You know? Right. It's, it's, and also, True. I think, obviously, the industry has changed a little bit. It's not a lot. so dissimilar from LeBron and Carmelo and Chris Paul being friends, it's the too. Or about it's, the director a, generation. A, a little bit. But it, just in entertainment in general, there's, like, this notion of support that mm-hmm. is clear. And, you know, those five guys who were friends in the 70s, who Peter Biskin wrote about in, in his previous book to Down and Dirty Pictures and uh, Easy Riders and Raging right. Bulls, you know, they were friends and they did support each other. You know, they watched each other's movies, they gave each other notes, they gave each other a hard time and they were competitive with each other, but they were like part of a fraternity. Right. And th- that fraternity is something that I think is a little bit been displaced. You know, you feel it much more, it's weirdly much more present in television. You have this generation of TV showrunners, the sort of the... Uh, Sam Esmails and the Damon Lindelofs and all yeah, these right. guys who are thought to be part of this generation of people that and at, we know that they're friendly if not outright friends and that they're measuring themselves against each other and yep. it's just completely shifted even in that respect well then you also have the people who want to emulate those guys because they know if they create a show they're yep. going to be left alone for the most part versus the horror stories of I, I sold mean, the script, they made me rewrite it, they right. put the wrong person in I mean the biggest entertainment news before all of this all, all of the sexual harassment news was Shonda Rhimes leaving ABC to go to Netflix. Yeah. You know what I mean? What that's going to do to the network. And there's just nothing happening in the movies that feels that seismic. You said something interesting, though, when you were talking about To Kill Sunrise, which is this was a movie that was made just to be a movie to go see. And the movies that still succeed now are movies that are that, whether you think they're right. good or bad. Right. This yep. Friday is Thor Ragnarok. The whole idea here is you got to see a Marvel movie in theaters. In September, the only movie really that was released that was of note to people was it. Yeah. Because horror movies still have that feeling. It can still do that thing where it can get you off your couch into a theater to experience it with people. And that's why you see more and more movies made that are just like that. So you get the same thing over and over again. You get, you're going to get more it's. There's going to be an it effect. You know, The thing that is unpredictable is something like Get Out. That's a movie that on paper should not be made and in reality is only made for $5 million. It had a, conf- a trailer that I was confused by the first time I saw it. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, this is a movie? But in the yeah. 70s, this seems 80s, super 90s, racist. And you yeah. don't even know that like... Yeah. <laughs> but how many how many movies felt that way for 40 years in mm-hmm. Hollywood there, where you just be like, I don't really get this. It looks interesting. I want to go find out more. But cu- curiosity is not enough now. Can we can we all agree, though? I mean, we can make excuses for why these movies are bad and they all make sense. But I also, at the same time, it's incredible the stories that are just being missed. Oh, know? yeah. Like, think about the climate we live in right now. And when you think about... Uh, I was thinking about this when Miles Teller was on my podcast and we were talking about PTSD and that Uh movie. And then I was talking about this whole Vietnam era that I grew up with from like 77 through basically Rambo. Right. Where it was just all these movies about the enormous guilt the country had about Vietnam and about basically PTSD, which we didn't even know what that was yet. Right. And these guys coming back and they were mistreated or they had all this anger and all this stuff. That was the thing. And it was capturing what America was like at the time. Where are the movies that are capturing what America is like right now in 2017? They're not. They don't exist. So they do. This is interesting. This Friday, Richard Linklater has a new movie. It's called Last Flag Flying. It's about a father and two old, old, old friends going to retrieve Steve his Carell. dead son's body yeah. who died, I believe, in the, the Iraq War, mm-hmm. um, circa 2002. And... It's a it's an interesting movie and it's a Richard Linklater movie so it's you know very well made and I, the reception has kind of varied. Cam liked it, but it's yeah. not. I don't I don't like it that much. It, but. It, it's it's 
it's at worst solid, I think. Yes. But it's incredibly difficult to get people interested in a movie like that. Whereas if, if this were coming home in 1979, Everybody it would be the most be important there. movie yep. in America. Yep. And that there, there's something to that, too. Well, I do think people just wait. I know I do. The they other wait difference comes on TV. But, and, I mean, but to demand. your point, though, about... But I, I also think that there's been a real... I mean, it, it, you, you picked Vietnam, and I think that the Vietnam choice is really interesting because the culture around that war is different versus how we feel about wars now in the military, right? Yeah. We don't we don't care at all about the wars. We just care about the men and women who who fight them and serve in the in the military. Yeah. And so and you and this is sort of what's happening around the NFL in these questions of protests. I I just feel like Nobody knows what's happening in Afghanistan or Iraq. Nobody really cares. But the idea that you would not do anything but valorize your service people is just anathema to people. So you get a movie like Thank You for Your Service, which, you know, everything you need to know about it is pretty much in the title. Yeah. Um, it is not. I mean, not that it should be ironic, but it is it isn't challenging any aspect of what it means to send people to war. I mean, I'm sure the people who made it would beg to differ, but uh, it just doesn't work as a movie that is designed to get you to do more, but but literally thank your service person when you see them. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the firefighter movie Only that's out brave. right now with, with Josh? Yeah, right. I movie. mean, another 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 movie that sort of does does this, the version of the same thing. I think the thing about an apocalypse now or a coming home or any of the allegories for the Vietnam War that were made during the 70s, even a Rambo, there is a direct challenge to a system of government and a, and a, and a sort of war philosophy that had nothing to do with the men and women who serve. I mean, individually, like the deer hunter, right? Like it was about the service people, but it was also about what the service people were being asked to do. And... Instead, I think we're much, we only want American Sniper now. Right. And well, I, I was going to bring that up. That's a good example of a movie that I never thought would make the money that half a billion dollars yeah. or whatever but worldwide. It should have told you where we were headed because it did, right? Yeah. It's not a good movie. It It is sort of relying on a very simple notion of service. And 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 you know whatever we think of as heroism, um, and it's not untrue. But I mean, the way it's presented is there are these boogeymen out there trying to kill our soldiers, and you know here is a guy who is like risking his life to stop these you know unseen brown forces that are like in the perimeter of the frame at all times, um, and then he comes home, and then what? It's a well done movie with a very likable star. That's yes, not doesn't have a lot to it i mean thank you for your services written and directed by the same person who wrote american sniper there is some continuity to to these stories too i mean there was even there was a movie earlier this summer called the wall that doug lyman directed with aaron taylor johnson and john cena oh yeah basically a two-hander about two marines who i did not see that sniper and it's the same thing you're describing it's an unseen brown person who is attacking america and america has to valiantly stand up to this unseen force like there is there is something what's the peter bird movie 
the Mark Wahlberg, um, the uh, marathon movie. No, no, or no the no, other but, one, the oil oil rig movie. No, 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 the Lone Survivor. Oh, Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yeah, I like Lone Survivor. Um, I we we know you do. And <laughs> you're, you're <prominently laughs> the trailer. Displayed. But but I think that there is there is that's how we think of the of this era now. It's not about. It really isn't about the system by which people get sent into these situations. It's more about trying to find some way to make cinematically actionable the experience of being there. Rather than a movie like Restrepo, that documentary that Sebastian Younger co-directed um, with Tim Hetherington, I think is the, yes. the other director. Um, that was... I mean, that, that raised all of these questions about the experience of being at war while also thinking about, well, in this case, the men serving. Um, the last movie that really did that for me was Jarhead. And it came out at a really, at, at the point at which we didn't want to have those conversations anymore about yeah. what war was and what did it mean to serve in them and who were we serving and what were we doing over there in the first place it's much more misanthropic about the war than, yeah. than most of these other movies that have been released but it's a you know the, a movie that feels much more resonant to what's happening relative to america's interest in afghanistan or iraq right now is get out that's part of the reason why there's been so much made mm. of it is because it feels like even though it was made you know before the the most recent president was elected and before some of the incidents that had happened between police and and african-americans it, it still is so reflective of a conversation that's been happening so aggressively for the last two years that it felt like it was dropped at the perfect moment in time. So th that can still happen. I wonder if, you know, I think movies had more of an impact. We've talked about it a lot. We launched Grantland in 2011, and it felt like movies mattered more to people. Like the way, the way they were dissected was more mm -hmm. sophisticated, and the conversations that we had about movies were just deeper. Mm -hmm. And like... Our staff at Grantland like really cared what was getting nominated for the Oscars, and it really cared that the artist is going to win the Oscar. Like that's <laughs> fucking crazy. That's we're letting that happen. Like yeah, we really cared. We did Oscar travesties week. I wonder, like you know, nephew Kyle's generation, do they give a shit who's the five Oscar nominees are? Because they weren't. Not only were they not raised that way, but I don't know if movies had the same kind of impact because nowadays you can go on the internet and get just about any sort of reaction or emotional whatever you need. Kramer versus Kramer came out in 79. That was like my movie. There was wouldn't get a made. kid going through yeah, 1979. Would be a 10-episode something or other show. But for on me, Amazon. in 1979, it's like my parents are getting divorced. I have nowhere to go and there's nobody to talk to. There's this movie that's drawing me in that I can identify with the character. Now, if I'm 10, do I go online? I'm just reading about divorce nonstop. Does that movie matter to me like that? It I don't could, know. but this is the thing. It could. So there's, I've, you wrote that great Rotten Tomato story over the summer. Yeah, that really crystallized the industry problem and the industry's delusion about what the problem actually is. Right. right. Thank you. <laughs> and I think there's a way in which I'm talking to Sean about the Rotten Tomato story. Yeah, I didn't um, write. I didn't write that. Story. <laughs> uh, I I think the Rotten Tomatoes scapegoat is is so fascinating to me it's i mean the, boogeyman. the day the weinstein story broke wh who published a story piggybacking on the no oh, damn you rotten tomatoes ruining our movies forever martin scorsese right same day pretty much yeah about mother about yes 
And I mean, we can talk about mother in a second because I do think that that is an interesting, that's an interesting presentation of an old problem that will never, that, that movie, Suburbicon is going to kill a whole one type of sort of vanity project movie. Oh, that's um, interesting. That you know should never should have died a long time ago. I was just hoping it would kill George Clooney's directorial career. I think it might. I mean, but can, I'm. Can but that I be think, killed? Can we I kill think that? It, I think it has killed it. It is. It is the worst movie I have seen in five years, maybe. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think Bill predicted you would have this take. Uh, oh, about Wesley an and I have had lots of George Clooney directing it's, uh, conversations. It's re- I mean, he he's, he's a nice guy. He's always been overrated as a filmmaker yeah. to me. Like Good Night and Good Luck is is I mean that's a sleeping pill and a half. I <laughs> I don't I don't get it. But he's zero for seven with his movies. I think it, yeah. I mean six or seven or whatever. Yes, none of no, them. No, he's he's zero for seven. What's the seven? What's the? He's made seven, and that, and you wouldn't watch oh, any of them the ever again. Oh, is the seventh one? Yeah, it's the seventh one. Oh, well, Confessions of a Dangerous seven. Mind was the first one, and uh, people yeah, are like, "Oh, interesting, original. That movie's not good." Well, Monuments Men was was the moment hour. where I realized that they're. Yeah, I mean, this Guess is what? the movie that you, George. Well, okay, yeah, a lot of directors would tell you that, and yet. It doesn't really get a person like George Clooney anywhere. But wait, my other point is like a movie like Suburbicon, it 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 ends a certain period of movie making. But I also feel like the one of the reactions I have to this Rotten Tomatoes problem is that nobody knows how to like. It's not just that movie makers don't know how to make movies anymore. It's that marketing departments don't know how to sell them. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to make you want to see a movie anymore. See, I would argue this is not a new problem. This is three William Goldman books. Right. Yes, a, it's a, true. They never yes. knew. They never knew what to do. And now they really don't know what to do because people are just less likely to go to the movies. So now it's like, how the fuck yes. do you get anyone into a theater? They've been, right. It's much more desperate than it was. Right. It's, it's totally, totally desperate. Yeah. They are like those places like when you go to Hermosa Beach – and those bars are like one dollar shots, and like that's becoming the movie theater industry. This nine dollar, what is it? The movie pass, movie thing. pass, yeah, ten bucks, yeah. 10, ten bucks, bucks a, month. a month, yeah, as many movies just as you to want. try to get people. Like, yeah, that's that's where we are now. Just go to pay per view, do sixty dollars a movie. We've talked about that for five years. Yep, there's so many. I would have gotten that that Miles Teller movie on pay per view for. Thirty nine ninety nine because yeah. I wanted to see it. I don't want to go to the theater. There are so many factors involved in this, though. The Rotten Tomatoes thing is an after effect. It's not a pre marketing thing. It's, it's a story right, about why right, we failed. Right, and right. It's, it's an excuse. Critics right. were mean. They convinced people to stay home and watch Stranger Things. Not our problem. And I, I agree. It, it is, that is not a critical problem. It's not a journalist problem. It's not even a sophisticated consumer problem. It's a it's a movie industry problem. It's don't make Baywatch. That's yep. that is the problem. Um, yeah, I went to Baywatch because my kids wanted to go. And I was so mad I was there. Yeah. And I, mean, I was like, I can't believe it. And then Ben fell asleep, which made me even madder. It's like, <laughs> you're the reason we're here. You're asleep. I'm hitting him with the popcorn bucket. You know, I just feel like there's a lot of sort of misused talent. Um, I mean, Dwayne Johnson is a perfect example of somebody who they just haven't figured out what to do with. Yes. They just a charismatic guy who they can't who figure out. Should not be playing CIA agents. He should not be playing cops Can unless I tell you it's something? what my, my kid's second favorite actor. Everybody's second favorite actor. Adam Sandler is one. The Rock is two. What's Dwayne Johnson's best film? It's the one with his, Kevin Hart, Central Intelligence. His <laughs> best movie or his best performance? What's his best movie? 
best Southland Tales. His best performance. Southland is... Tales, like that. So that's the point. It's like Pain have... and Gain's his best performance. Okay. Best performance is Pain and Gain. So we have The Rock. The Rock is an all-time American celebrity. He is tremendous at being He's famous. Arnold Schwarzenegger for this decade. Right. Arnold Schwarzenegger made The Terminator and Terminator 2 and even Conan the Barbarian. He made myriad movies that are Kindergarten deeply, Cop. Kindergarten Cop. Deeply memorable. Some might say iconic. True Lies. Total Recall is the sleeper of the other. I mean, that listen, Commando. Yeah. He made like nine really, really entertaining movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, his movie career specifically, is just significantly more interesting, deeper, more fascinating than The Rock's, even though The Rock is probably 10 times the quote unquote performer. He Way has more, more range. Far more funnier, talented. Yes. Deeper. Yeah, but The Rock didn't have James Cameron. There's no 2017 James Cameron who's like, The Rock's a movie star. This is the problem. This is the problem, though. Where is that generation and, of people who and who's the young James Cameron? There's nobody capable of taking what he can do or interested in taking what he can do and doing something with it. Yeah. Um, What's his agency in that, though? Is but, it The Rock's fault that he's choosing to make Baywatch? I would he's say The Rock is 100% a happy. Movie? He might be. Here's what I would, I would... I would... He's... Oh, I'm sure he's happy. I think he probably thought Baywatch was going to work and he probably blamed the script. Alternatively... It like like someone like Jennifer Lawrence, who has what I would say is a very good working relationship with at least one director, and not the one she's dating, um, and it's David O. Russell. He really knows, he understands lots of things about lots of different actors, but he gets her, and even when he miscasts her in something... Like, I would say she was miscast in Joy and American Hustle. Yes. But, especially American Hustle. That but, really, that one was bad. But I would say all three of the films they made together, she's miscast. But oh, that's, that's, she, that's yes. My, yes. That's, I mean, fine. I didn't want to go there. She's but a, she's, I would agree. should be a 44 year old actress in all three of those films. And for some reason, she was All 24. three of those parts yeah. want Ellen Barkin, is what right. they want. They want, yeah. they want peak yes. Ellen Barkin, but they have to settle for Jennifer Lawrence right. because that's what we have now. Right. Yeah. And Ellen Barkin and Jennifer Lawrence are probably just as good. But the pool was so much bigger mm-hmm. in 1990, 1987, 1988. The Ellen Barkin was like the 15th most, most interesting actress working in the movies. It's, but you've identified something, and this is also true for Aronofsky and how he got Mother Made. By the time David O. Russell gets to Joy and he's made two movies with Jennifer Lawrence, the only way he can get Joy made is if it stars Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. It doesn't yep. matter. If he tried to get that movie made mm. with Ellen Barkin, it wouldn't happen in the first place. Joy is the kind of movie, I don't, that's not a successful movie at all in my opinion, but it's the Joy? kind of movie no, we're talking about that very rarely gets made. Watch. And it needs people, the same way that George Clooney can still get Suburbicon made, there needs to be a person with power at the center of it, otherwise it just doesn't happen. And that's, you know, that's always been true in Hollywood, but it's more true now than ever, and there are fewer people now than ever that can actually make something like that happen. Somebody needs to have a talk with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, uh, where do we start? First About of what? all, just study c- the careers that have worked. Like, my wife and I... You're were, telling her to study the careers that have worked? Yeah, just from, like, throw some different pitches. How about this? Make a rom-com. It's fine. Well, it's fine. It's but okay. This is, but, Make one. But Make a movie where you're trying to escape from your abusive husband and you change your identity and then he but Bill, eventually finds Bill, you. But Bill, the house... It's fine. The just house do it. next to where the woman who's being abused by her husband lives is going to have to have a black family living next door being protested by a bunch of racists who've been trucked in from out of town. Great. Like, you just can't do that Done. anymore because you either have to have the most important statement being made about whatever or 
you're making you're making a Stephen King. My m- wife and movie I we watched book. Sleeping with the Enemy on Saturday morning, the first forty five minutes because. I think it's one of the most rewatchable bad movies ever made. Oh, sure. It's just great. Their house is great in Cape Cod. The guy's so creepy. That mustache. Patrick Bergen. She, yeah. it, it's got Ooh. so many holes in it. She teaches herself to swim and <laughs> jumps off the boat in a hurricane and swims to shore and leaves no trail. And it's just like, it's okay to make a movie like that. Cocktail is a totally defensible movie. Just be a star. Make a movie just, where you're a star. Sandra Bullock's really good at that. She Every once in a while, she's like, I'm Sandra Bullock. I'm a star. I'm going to make a movie. But I think that's kind of what we're... I think one of the things we're saying, So you saying, don't think though, people will see those movies it's anymore? It's over. I think if you put Jennifer Lawrence, not in Mother, but in Sleeping with the Enemy right now, like if it came out next week, it would make a ton of money because yeah. obviously there's a there's a degree of cultural catharsis to the extent that we need it. A movie about a woman who is being abused by a man serially who plots her escape. And it's got a great ending, Sleeping with the Enemy, um, which I won't spoil for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's got, well, I would say, for one of these blank from hell movies, it's I got the know, best we, ending. We had to spoil, we're spoiling Sleeping with the Enemy. His <laughs> nephew Kyle is going to go home tonight and watch it? <laughs> it's got a great ending. It's But, you know, I, I think... I think it's great from start to finish. It's great. It, the whole thing is great. But, like, I'll, go, the, I'll go slightly the other way. Because okay. I, one, I don't think that Sleeping with the Enemy can be made today for the most part. I don't either, but I'm just saying if somebody well, had they made the... it, they made it with enough with J Lo and it didn't work. So maybe you're right. right. And J Lo at a moment that where you know J Lo is enormously good famous, but not yeah. a box office draw the way that Jennifer nobody Lawrence wants is. to watch her in the movies. Right, but Jennifer Lawrence, who candidly I am not terribly fond of as an actress. Um, Passengers made so much money. She, aside from Passengers, has made interesting choices. Right, so she has her superhero franchise. She tries. And a movie like Mother is really audacious. I mean, that's a really strange, unusual movie, kind of regardless of your opinion of it. I'm a little Mis- mixed on miscast. it. Miscast. Yeah, I, I agree. But the fact that she was like, it's important that I make this movie, is pretty bold. Why yeah, didn't she, she, I agree. She's the one who should have made I, Tanya. Mm-hmm. She, she a movie that I am mm-hmm. she not even very good. secretly excited for. No, that's a really good one. A good call. It's a good. It's a good call. I mean, I wonder, but I wonder if. I mean, I don't know how that movie. I don't know anything about the genesis of I Tanya, which is the which is for anyone who doesn't know, it is the Tanya Harding. It's the I. It's the Tanya Harding movie, basically. but with Margot with Robbie, Margot Robbie yeah. playing Tanya Harding, which is like I that made my brain. I didn't know who it was until they showed her name when she it was, was transformed. Somebody put our trailer in the Slack. It was like Margot Robbie's first of all a figure skater, and then she's Tanya Harding. But, but Margot Robbie is somebody to the extent that like we can make any sort of sports comparison. Margot Robbie wants to win. Well, you, yeah. we've and argued about Margot Robbie because I like Focus way more yes, than you because you're... I love Margot Robbie and Focus. But and and she brought Will Smith back to life That's for like she, 40 she minutes. Movie, though. She, brings, movie. she brings something out of Will Smith that is really interesting. And there aren't... Another thing that we don't really have very much anymore either is these sort of chemical reactions that you get when you, took, when you put two people together. Right. Right. Like, like something, J-Lo and Clooney and Out of Sight, they just clicked. Something about two certain people together really creates an energy that you can feel. And You mentioned Passengers. That's something they wanted from Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, and they just don't get it. It they didn't work. There was no chemistry. No, they were literally passengers. No, yeah. nothing. Passengers in the same also, movie. Also, that is, that is one of the creepier movies you're ever, <laughs> ever going to see. Yeah. That movie would make it. six cents if they Good. opened it this week. If it came out this week, it'd make nothing. Quick break to talk about Home Depot. They say in life there are no guarantees. They say there's no sure thing. 
I'm here to tell you there might be one exception. In 1924, Husky started making things for people who make things. They did it with common sense. That meant adding function, function never fill, frills, and make, making tools that stood the test of time. 93 years later, Husky, still making quality-crafted, durable tools. Husky stands by their hand tools for life, so they gave them a lifetime warranty, like the Husky Ratchet, with a 100-position ratcheting design and a 10% longer handle than standard ratchets do to what other ratchets can't. Or the virtually unbreakable Husky Flashlight, both guaranteed for a lifetime, but built so you won't need it. That is a sure thing to Husky. That's common sense. Learn more at huskytools.com. Husky, common sense tools since 1924 with hand tools guaranteed for a lifetime. Guess where they're found? Only at the Home Depot. I'm excited because I start getting the screener soon because I'm in the producer's So you're going to get number, six yeah. screeners this year. Oh, you think they're not going to mail them out? I mean, you're like you get six options. There's not a lot. What of are your options? Yeah, it's uh, it'll be Come interesting to, to see how, how many num- how many nominees there are for best picture because it's up to I, ten, but it feels like a low number. This you year. you you. I mean, they'll they're going to eke to five. Why do you think comedies have have uh, both had a resurgence and then also have gotten even worse? Because I think Girls Trip, which I told you guys. <laughs> watch, made the mistake of watching my daughter which we discussed on Parents Corner doesn't event. sound like a mistake at all to me Girls Trip was funny as hell yeah. and it's like to me funny as hell and scary as hell are always going to win with movies and that's those are the two safe places we still have also I mean I don't like this is another place we are that, that, that people sort of fitfully acknowledge but underserved movie going populations really mm. matter black women get nothing at the movies hidden figures girls trip sorry see you in 2018 bye everybody yeah that's it i think that yeah that's bizarre there i mean and taraji henson is starring in a movie where she's like a, an assassin or something in january of 2018 i think proud that, mary didn't you just yeah it's called proud mary is this explained somewhat the tyler perry's Success is that he's kind of understood it what you just said. It explains the old success. Now Tyler Perry is is trapped in the closet era R. Kelly, where now he's making movies for young white people, and white people are laughing at him in yeah. a way black people never laughed at Tyler oh, that's, Perry. That's interesting. So his he has figured out now that like he has sort of oversaturated his black woman market and is now going for young college-age white people who think that Tyler Perry in drag... I mean, he's come full circle in a, in a way back to being the minstrel figure that he had been being accused of being uh, when he was just doing theater. That sounds sad. It's sad, but you know what? It's still keeping him at the top of the box office or near the That's top. That's why he owns a plane. <laughs> Black women brought him that plane, they, they, though. Black women paid it. for that plane. That's what he named the plane. Black women brought me this <laughs> he, plane. He, he better. <laughs> the comedy question is is interesting, though. I mean, there's not... Girl's Trip is by far the biggest comedy of the year. Mm-hmm. I, I think Thor, the Thor movie, might be the second funniest movie I've seen this year, which says a lot about the state of comedy. Thor, Ragnarok. Thor wasn't meant to be a comedy, right? It, 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 I mean, it, it no, it is. is. It's playing. Oh, okay. It is playing it is. for that. It is. But I mean, it also features battle scenes with Led, the old Led Zeppelin soundtrack. So it, it's still it's a Marvel movie. It's just such a fun movie. It is. And it, oh. and it isn't... It, it's really fun. It okay. isn't trying for anything. It's yeah. not trying to uphold a Marvel mantle. It just is so stressless yes. and enjoyable. Yeah. It's half fun. And, Go to the and, movies and have fun. And everybody is happy. Kate Blanchett is having a good time with whatever they've done to her face for this movie. Like, 
It's hmm. it's just fun. And I there are no movies, virtually none, where I leave on a high the way you leave that Thor movie wow. on a high. There's just high praise. I mean I loved it, honestly. I, I just can't there's I mean, but it shouldn't be. That should just be Saturday night. That's my point. Yeah. That's that you should just be like Saturday night in the middle of October, and I'm going to do the same thing again next week. We so, did. Remember we did rewatchables? Or oh, you weren't in the Point Break one. Back-to-back weekends, Terminator 2 and Point Break. Yeah, I mean. Back-to-back weekends. Yeah. Even something like American Made, which I liked, and I think Tom Cruise is really good in. Okay. That I, I Because it didn't make enough money by Tom Cruise movie standards, is going to be something that they all, whoever made this movie, is going to think twice about before mm-hmm. they make the next non-Mission Impossible, non-franchise-oriented Tom Cruise movie. Bill's going to text us in six weeks and be like, American Made is incredible. As yep. soon as he gets well, his hands I, on I mean, come iTunes. on. I have season tickets to Cruise. <laughs> I just haven't gone yet. It's it's just, it, but that is a movie. That That's is basically a comedy, that is too. A, that, it's basically a comedy. Um, and... It's not going for too much. He would have been nominated for an Oscar if that movie had come out like 10 years ago. Mm, wow. And it would have just been another movie, another but the time. reviews would have been good enough for people to be like, oh yeah, I'll make a mental note, Tom Cruise and American Made. The problem is it's like year 37 for the Tom Cruise as a movie star era. Like at some point, it's just... I think he also just has a different reputation in the minds of many people now, especially under young, 30. Yeah, yeah. Oh, young under 30. Care, yeah. yeah. But yeah. also he's, you know, there's, there's a complex Scientology story that is... You know that people don't ignore. It's it's harder to celebrate him in the same way. Yeah, I thought Amy yep. Nicholson like three years ago when she wrote about him, and she made that point that he had this really fascinating first fifteen years, right, where he was just like, I just want to work with great directors. Yep, and he didn't make like the sellout movies, and he's like, I don't want to become a popcorn guy, and then that's what he became he the last fifteen years, yep. and that's all he makes now. And but he's more interested like in his survival, right? Well. I don't know if it's I. What is the movie? What is the movie that broke him? It might be. It, it might Magnolia, be Eyes Wide. Eyes Wide Shut. That combo, and that, right after be, that, he just started making popcorn movies. But I also think that you know a lot of these people don't trust their instincts anymore either. I think everybody's instincts are completely scrambled. Yeah. And for me, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but and I know that it's it's crazy to put it this way, but I think the thing that signals a major cultural shift. It's going to sound ridiculous, but I think it's Julia Roberts signing those two TV deals. She could have just stayed home, you know, or Mm. like appeared in something once a year that wasn't. But this is a woman who wants to work. She knows she's not going to do it at the movies now. Yeah. There's nothing for her to do. And she can do anything she wants to do. I saw a really weird movie like three years ago with the guy from 12 Years a Slave. It's like a murder movie. Oh, Roberts, uh, the like, remake of the, the Secret in Their Eyes. Oh, it's yeah. not good. It's and terrible. She's, and she's but she's working really in hard in that. Yeah, she's really trying to sap all the attractiveness out. It's a rough movie. It's not not a good watch. But, but she but she works really hard in tries. that. She's very good. She tries. Or she works really hard. She's it's like not, LeBron on the Cavs right, right now, like really right. trying. She's really trying to get like, her and yeah. Nicole Kidman and Chew It's a Gia Four over like that. Being unable to draw an audience is probably what you're. But informing what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna take what you said though, and and give it even a little extra. She sees what's going on with Kidman and Reese doing the Big Little Lies. Oh, sure. I mean, I that think that's a like huge this part of it. Cultural thing Absolutely. for seven weeks, and she's like, "Oh, I need one of those." But that I think that's didn't gonna lead to a lot of those. But she signed two TV deals. 
this it's not quite the same thing as what would at it like even in like the late 90s be like a special hbo situation yeah. for some for some actors obviously you see something like big little lies and you do think that that is that is obviously indicative of, of something changing yeah. but i think that you have this i mean it's true that julie roberts hasn't mattered at the movies very much in more than 10 years but i do think that this to me signals like a kind of point of no return. Yeah. It's fully right? shifted. How long before Tom Cruise's uh, prestige television show? He's right. I mean, and so this is the thing that a person like him has got to be thinking about yes. because if, if he can't, if nobody wants to see him do the mummy and nobody should want to, because that is maybe the second worst movie of the year. It's not a good film. I was um, ready to see it, and then the reviews came in. Rotten Tomatoes talked me out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, I I think he doesn't have a. I mean, I I don't know what his. I don't know what's coming across his desk. I don't know what his options he can't are. Make but Jack Reacher three. You know, it, it's but we're nobody, twelve months right. out from his how, six part miniseries funded by Netflix. How much money does Tom Cruise need? But he we're not eyeballs. talking about. We're he not talking about past Paul money. Newman. Like was when Paul Newman was sixty, he wasn't like I gotta find, I gotta find another action movie to well, make Paul things. Newman's right, like I'm good I'm gonna make salad dressing I'm gonna make nobody's fool is what I'm gonna do yeah, that's yeah what I mean he still wants to work and Tom Cruise I think wants to work and he's he's got 35 years under his belt of being looked at all day long mm-hmm. and he's he, he I'm sure he feeds off it they're, they're, oh my god of yeah of course even now he's like 57 oh, it doesn't change maybe now more it, than ever because people think change. he's been diminished right I mean, he is fighting not for his... He's fighting for a kind of cultural survival. It is really... It's fascinating, though. He's basically... There are some... really hesitate saying this, but there are some Tom Brady parallels. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> just just being determined to be ageless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both members um, of a cult. Very passionate. <laughs> Brady's, yeah, Brady's got his own TB12 cult type thing. And but Tom just Brady super, just won another Super well, that's Bowl. That's what I mean. But Brady's where Tom Cruise was, what, 12, 13 years ago, and he's cranking out Mission Impossibles. Yeah. And people are going, wow, Tom Cruise, he's really going to third decade as a mm-hmm. A-plus lister? I guess so. But every, most this isn't common. Like, you go, go through, like, think of the biggest stars when I was a kid. Redford, Newman, Eastwood. Steve McQueen very early. That was it. Red- Redford didn't have a 35-year movie career. Like, he was done in by the He became 80s. a director yeah. who occasionally would show up in movies as a star that would be, like, Legal Eagles? Come on! He made Legal like, Eagles and Sneakers. And yeah, like I he, mean... His choices yeah. are very strange. Right. Havana. Post Havana. Yeah. Not a hit, though. No. Legal Eagles was a hit. But, like, yeah. Dustin Hoffman was an A++ lister and it flipped fast. Right. And then all of a sudden after Rain Man it wasn't the same. But you do, I mean, the sports thing is really interesting to consider. I think they're like athletes. I think you have, as an A++ lister, you have, if you can get 15 years, that's amazing. That's a Mm -hmm. great run. Right. If you get 20, that's like... But don't you think that the starter models are changing everywhere where I think that there there are people maybe younger than we are who don't place the same premium on on what we previously called stardom and yet well what is stardom anyway i don't well this is the question right i also think it's interesting if you look at tennis yeah like who had the best years in tennis they're all people who were around 15 years ago venus williams 
had, I mean, officially the best year of any woman tennis player, mm-hmm. even though she didn't win anything. Yeah. She was in the finals of almost everything. Classy lady also set the record for most times people talked about how much class she had. Right. <laughs> Classy lady that Venus Williams. I almost had to like mandatory had to say it for some reason. Uh Federer Nadal yeah. had the two best years of, yeah. of everybody on the on Even the, Del Potro, who's been around forever and had a had a pretty good year. You right. Know? Right. I mean it's just We need a Sloan Stevens though. Movies I, could use a Sloan I, Stevens. But Sloan Stevens, I mean we'll see. But see, I, what I'm, I'm saying is I'm going there. I don't think we have the stars like we did. I we just don't think it's have, like a drought. I think it's like I, when the NBA had the T Mac Vince know. Carter era. Well, I mean, honestly, you can it, this can be pitched in any direction. It, Tiffany Haddish is hosting SNL in, in ten days. Right. I mean, that's a that's. I a, would argue. But she, what do, do the she movies? Might be a star though. What are the movies yeah. going to do for Tiffany Haddish though? This is the question. I don't know. She should probably also have a TV show. I mean, but this is this is this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Where's Lupita Nyong'o been? Great question. Where's Tiffany Haddish going to go? She was unbelievable nonstop. <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> So no nobody's ever been more overqualified to be in an action movie than Lupita Nyong'o. Her Lupita three scenes in nonstop a, were so good. Incredible as the flight attendant. Her, her appearance in The Force Awakens was the deepest metaphor for what happens to yes. like Lupita Nyong'o, where she is literally made unrecognizable as a CGI character. That yes. Is, that is the story. Uh, an of, old, wrinkled, yeah. nasty-ass CGI character. Thank you, that Hollywood. Was her, her follow-up to an I Academy mean, Award To an Academy Award-winning performance. Yeah. It's Terrible. it's crazy. There's no place for for Tiffany Haddish to go. Girls Trip Two, obviously, that's yeah. probably going to happen. happen. I'm sure. Of they will. course, it's got to happen. Can we unfreeze Jay to pick its face before that happens? <laughs> like that's. Can we take out five pounds of silicon? <laughs> Her face didn't move. Listen, don't 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 do that to my girl. I just want to say I listened. She to was her. beautiful. I, I hate she when looked, people who are she beautiful looked, mess with their face. She looked great. She also looked different. It's true, but. Uh, she I raised do think, Willow Smith, who just released a great album this week. Just going to give a shout out to okay. Willow Smith. All right, great. Um, I just think I, what I think. I, I just think we can't pretend that a person having one year is going to mean that they're going to have a career, mm. like because it just doesn't. And I think until the great TV apocalypse comes, and I honestly don't know how it's going to come, but I think it's it's out there. Something will happen where we'll lose all our channels. The funding will go dead on some of these things. But until then, there is a world for a Tiffany Haddish to do whatever she wants, I think. But I mean, it's not. I sure, just don't think it's going to be at the movies. Are we sure Hollywood does the star machine thing as good as they used to? Because like, here's an example. And I know you know the answer to this, but I bet Nephew Kyle doesn't. You saw Get Out, right? What's the name of the black guy, the actor who played the black guy in Get Out? Who played the black guy in Get Out? The lead guy in Get Out. What was his name? See, most people don't know that guy's name. Why wasn't that guy? His name's Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Where were the three weeks of stories about, hey, this guy. There's going to be when Oscar season starts. But you're right that in the immediate aftermath. Most people do not know that guy's name. They know it's him and the girl from Girls. What's her name? Brian Williams' daughter. Right. And those are the two stars of that movie. I think what happened also with, with Daniel Kaluuya is Sam Jackson came along and totally basically stomped on, like put that fire out. Um, by asking, by raising this question of, of Daniel Kaluuya's being British. British and how, you know, he was, you know, uh, faking the funk and get out. It should have been, it should have been a real brother uh, playing, playing the brother and get out. Should be like little Wayne. And so, and I, 
<laughs> I don't know who you cast, but Jordan Peele will probably tell you that Daniel Kaluuya was great and he gave the best audition. Well, he was also good because I had no real baggage with him. So I was experiencing him through, like, he was like a new person to me almost. Yes, I, I didn't but I really mean, remember him from another movie. Black when Mirror I, heads will remember him yeah, from Yeah, he was in a really good episode yeah, of Black yeah. Mirror. But I think your point with Nephew Kyle is is true. Like, I mean, I think the way, I, the way stardom works now, it just, it isn't, I don't know if it's a name thing like the speed, way it was. Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, who's that? Boom, right. Sandra Bullock, massive star. Yeah, who's the last person who became a star? It's almost. A, been, I mean, Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. She's not there yet. But she's not there yet. But a person who be. a person who you leave a movie saying this person. Yeah, I think it might be Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I mean. And what was the movie? It was a movie nobody saw. Well, I mean, Sil- it was Silver Heaven, Linings Playbook. Or I think people walked out of Silver Linings Playbook like, who is that? But she was already Jennifer is that Lawrence the girl at that point. In the in the Hunger Games. I think it's at the same person. It's more something like it that. It seems like we spend more time talking ourselves into stars. Mm-hmm. Well, it's right. Like, hey, Chris Evans. We shouldn't ah, I'm no. gonna, I'm gonna no. take another glass of Chris Evans. Yeah. Uh, a little better this time. And I'm just hoping Chris Evans becomes an A-lister. Well, I think that that Chris Hemsworth as but only as Thor. Is a movie star. Is that you my put dude in, from Rush? Which yes. Hemsworth is yes. in Rush? Chris Hemsworth is a movie is star. It's good. always Chris Hemsworth. The guy Hemsworth. from Rush is, is a star. He is good. If right. it were 1975, he would be so famous. Well, he'd be Jan right. Michael Vincent. Let's no, be honest. How dare you? Let's be how honest. Dare you? He'd be Jan Michael I stop, Vincent. I think he has like Burt Reynolds-y stuff going yeah, on. He's I, I very agree. funny. Yes. He's cool. Yes. He but he but see, he the would thing have about, at least been Clint Eastwood, like making those weird every every which way but loose type movies mixed with He the can do movies. all that stuff, but the thing that makes him different from the thing that made a Burt Reynolds a star is Burt Reynolds is handsome, but he's not he's seventies handsome. Like a Burt, like a Burt, Re- Burt Reynolds was the hottest act, like the physically hottest I actor left him out of the, the 1970s. 1970s stars. Yeah, right. That was another he, one. So he's he's the he was the handsomest of all those people. Done. But but by the time you get to the 80s, where it really does, where the where the Ridley Scotts of and the Tony Scotts of the world bring their sort of commercial television commercial oriented ideas to what movies should look like. And there's a slickness that gets applied to everything. There's really no room for a guy who looks like Burt Reynolds. Let's take a second to talk about our friends at Squarespace. They make it easy to build beautiful websites, whether you're planning to start a business, change careers, or launch a creative project before the end of 2017. Whatever you're doing, you should absolutely be tackling your next move with Squarespace, widely used by all kinds of people and businesses. Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform where you can make your latest goals into a reality, even get a unique domain which strengthens your brand, makes it easier for visitors to find you, whether you need a landing page, beautiful gallery, professional blog, online store. It is all included in your Squarespace website, adding and arrange your content and features. With the click of a mouse, there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support will help you. No matter how hard or easy your problem may be, start a free trial today at squarespace.com. Use offer code BS to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. Again, that is squarespace.com. Offer code BS. 
Do you think Julia Roberts, Pretty Woman, could that happen in 2017? I do because I think that that's pretty similar to the Jennifer Lawrence thing. I think that there is but sometimes she th- somebody she never has had a movie lightning that bolt big though. I mean, as big as Pretty Woman. Silver Linings Playbook was not pretty. The Woman. Hunger Games is pretty huge. Yeah, but she was the already X-Men famous at that huge. point. Yeah, I mean, I I think the more the more relevant part of this, because I, I do think that people can be, there can still be comets in culture. There can still be mm-hmm. people who are like, man, this person just captured the moment. They captured the zeitgeist in an amazing yeah. way. The Hemsworth thing is more interesting to me because Hemsworth, who is so charming and so funny in, a, in the third Thor movie of all movies, his next movie, which comes out in January, is called 12 Strong. And it's exactly the kind of movie we were talking about earlier. It's a war movie. It's a rah-rah post 9-11. Yep. Essentially like a hardline red state, let's go kill people in Afghanistan movie. And that's a choice, that's a specific choice that he and his group of agents and managers made in an effort to kind of like balance his persona. But I have no idea what that movie tells us about Chris Hemsworth at all. He needs to be playing a lifeguard at like a retirement village where (laughs) where Helen Mirren and all her girlfriends want to sleep with him. That's what, that's what Chris Hemsworth needs to be doing because Chris Hemsworth is sleeping with Helen Mirren. I mean, I I think, I think like, no, I'm serious. Like, let's just start making up plots because that's all they did in the eighties and just find people to be in them. Oh, 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 what about a guy who finds a mermaid on the beach and tries to make her be his girlfriend? You know why? Because they were doing good drugs in the 80s. That's why they had so many good ideas. High well, they concept. need to get off the Oxycontin and get back on yeah. the cocaine get back and give cocaine. us some movies. Yeah. yeah. I just feel like one of the things is I think people just aren't willing to be crazy anymore. Like mm-hmm. there's a total crazy factor. If you go back and look at these plots from like the 80s and the 90s and 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 you look at like how much money some of these like mid-tier movies wind on house sitter? Like let's make a movie about a like about a like a pathological liar who just sort of shows up at people's houses and pretends she lives there. Let's like do Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but in California real estate or something. But those movies were all built around the person, the star. Right. It was like, Goldie right. Hawn is, we know she is a bankable, hilarious actress. Right. Let's, let's build something around her. Right. That, that happens yeah, less Yeah, it seems frequently. like old times like that. It's like Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, we have them. What is it? Uh, she's she was married to this guy. He got out of jail, and he's kind of on the lam, and she still kind of likes him. Like that movie never gets made. Right? No, they well Jennifer Aniston was the last person who got to try to do that stuff. Mm, yeah. Every Jennifer Aniston movie, movies. until the Painkiller movie, which I think we should revisit given the times we live in. Ooh. But the Painkiller movie was the last thing. That was the end of that era of Jennifer Aniston. Um, what was the what was the Adam Sandler and Nicole Kidman get uh, just uh, get over it or um, no just go with it just go with it right that was with Jennifer Aniston. solid right. movie yeah. that was solid that is that is that is flat their... out solid <laughs> I've never seen it that's 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 that era's attempt at a Goldie Hawn Chevy Chase movie yeah and it worked it I mean it, it was a Simmons hit House. it it was a, I believe it was a hit my daughter told me her favorite movie. Until Girls Trip, which is now her favorite movie, was Blended. Mm. So that was really interesting. Uh, there's some complicated <laughs> racial politics in Blended. She's it's 12 really, and a half. That movie is is effed the F up. I, listen, I'm not defending it. They love Sandler. She likes Blended. I mean, kids can't help it. Kids can't help it. You'll explain can't, it. To, you'll explain it to them someday, won't you, I Bill? tried to explain it when she decided <laughs> she liked it. I can't wait until she's a disaffected 
college student and her favorite Protesting movie is the Meyerowitz stories. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> there is another one that yeah. like, I mean, that probably would be living the same life it is currently living, but I think it would be much more a part of some kind of cultural conversation. Instead, it felt it's, like it should have been more important with, when you see the actors together. Like, oh, this yeah, is cool. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler. So three major Who's the other person I'm missing? There's a fourth person. Oh, Elizabeth Marvel, who's not a man, but, but like, important in this movie mm-hmm. and very good. I don't know. It just, it, and, it's, and it's by Noah Baumbach, who, you know, manages to make a movie or two every year. And you know what's weird about him? And same thing with P.T. Anderson. Two guys that had a great sense of humor early in their careers in their movies mm, and then completely a, abandoned humor altogether. Yeah. Like yeah. Paul Thomas well, Anderson. So we haven't Boogie talked about Phantom Thread. Really I mean, that's another movie that is coming out that is theoretically an Oscar movie. Daniel Day Lewis's reportedly last movie. Um, that movie does not look very funny. <laughs> it looks no. quite serious. No, so. but it also looks like a movie. It does. Do you know what I mean? It looks like a movie. Mm. And I haven't seen it yet, but. You know, I mean, he's Anderson. I don't mind that the humor is going out of his movies. Well, I don't know. Inherent, Inherent Vice, Vice is pretty funny. Inherent Vice is hilarious. Yeah. There's so many good things in Inherent Vice. I mean, I think in, there's. I mean, there's no but for me with Inherent Vice. I think that movie is great, and I think if you watch it now, the things that it is trying to say mm. about an era will just seem like it's holding up a mirror to whatever is going on right now. You're preaching um, to Sean's choir. Right? Sean's it is. Happy this, right is now. this is that's my guy. It's you know? it's 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 better than you. I mean, I don't need to tell you this, yeah. Sean, but like, I think Inherent Vice and all of his. I mean, The Master. Watch The Master now. The Master is when that movie came out. That's another sign for me that like you know what's the opposite of a canary in a coal mine? That like the birds running for the hills or flying for the yeah. hills or whatever. <laughs> like. That that movie couldn't get the traction that it did. And I think some of it was this industry, like this town, sort of trying to make it go away, mm-hmm. The Master. And I think people not really knowing what to do with a movie like that. It is not only <laughs> extremely well made, it's got these three really fantastic performances in it. Amy Adams, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman, and Joaquin Phoenix. And it's just by the by the by the last great American director who isn't also sixty five years old and was working in the seventies. With Brian De Palma. Here's another <laughs> since we're shouting out ideas, Mafia Italians, I'm ready. It's been a couple of years. I'm just ready. What Bring do me you back want? To that world. Watch ready. the deuce. It's all over the it's deuce. True. It's in the deuce. It's well done in the deuce. Michael Rispoli. It's well is very done good. enough, right? Oh, Actually, it's kind of Michael a, Rispoli. It wasn't Michael Rispoli supposed to be someone like in a this, star in, in uh, I think he was originally Don Draper oh, before John no, Hamm. Yeah. Like, no way. Yeah, who plays the gangster character on the deuce and, and John Hamm eventually. It was between him and John Hamm. He's so event. much sexier What's than John Hamm. Because Wesley has to go. Very Michael, so you guys are pro the deuce. Yes. Uh, I'm a wait and see on the deuce. So I think it's really it's smart, but I'm waiting. I'm a wait and see. I will see if they get. Do they get the? Do they get the wish to make 24 episodes of that show? I don't know what the you series order is. There will be a season cancel? two. Yeah, there will be a back. season two. Um, I mean, I'm 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 waiting to see. Like, let's but see that's what also, the. That's a TV show that is a movie. I mean, that's the way yeah. that show is operating. Is that's a hackneyed thing to say, but it's true. I mean, the way that they're telling that story is not in that like beat to beat. Watch out what happens next cliffhanger way. It's but not the like wire. That. I mean, I don't it's know. Right. The wire was the same way. But oh, Michael, the wire was entertaining. Let me just give one quick shout out to, to a movie that I just watched, which is about this exact thing that we're talking about that I thought was pretty fascinating. It's called Jim and Andy. It comes out on Netflix on November 17th. It's a documentary about 
what Jim Carrey did during the making of Man on the Moon. Oh. Mm. In the middle Which of- is a really interesting rewatch that I told you this a couple weeks ago. Or one of you. I, I know I texted one me? of you and I was like, I watched Man on the Moon again. What a fascinating it, it's movie a really to rewatch. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really I mean that movie never gets made now. So no, zero no. percent chance. But, but he but, really beces Andy. But Kaufman. also the the, right. the documentary, essentially he was tracked by Lynn Margulies, who was Andy Kaufman's girlfriend for many years during the making of that movie. And he's in character either as Andy or as Tony Clifton throughout the entire making of the movie. And there's a camera on him for days and days and days and days doing all kinds of things. And the movie is essentially footage from 1998 when they're making the movie interspersed with a single long interview with Jim Carrey talking about the nature of that performance, his stardom, his family, Andy Kaufman's influence on him, and where he is now as a, as a human, as an, as an actor. And it is a mind-blowing example of what happens to people when they get famous. Yeah. Because he is speaking so oddly and fascinatingly and worryingly Wait, about... Wait, like that interview was done in 1995 or no, four or no, whatever? No, it was done this year. Oh. It was done this year. And he... The, the way that he describes the machine that he's put himself into, he keeps drawing this parallel between his character in The Truman Show and his life at the time mm. and saying that I made that movie specifically that, and the filmmaker made that movie because that's what I was going through. But he talks about the, the world now and the cosmos and existence and his place in it, it in a way that I don't know if I've ever seen a famous person talk. It, mm. it is because he's like, I have all the money in the world. I'm not interested in pursuing fame anymore. And so the way I see this now is on this continuum of existence that is so complicated and so strange and you can just really see how fame fucks people up he clearly is damaged oh, by everything think, he went through i think i would love to i love a will smith of one of those I'd listen you could you could pick anyone look I at mean, julia julia didn't make a movie for how many but years i don't know if it's a head thing with julia roberts i think I she'd be a lot more i think i don't think you i don't think you get any of this stuff i think if you talk yeah. to will smith I think Will Smith would say, I think that's a place Will Smith would probably go, that Jim Carrey place. I would be fascinated to hear it. I, I, it was bracing. The last hour of that movie was I think bracing. Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy would go to that place. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy would have a different story to tell. I don't know if he's so, as so, self-aware enough to No, he, but well, who knows? But I think that it would be interesting to have people who had these major career shifts who were at the top of the world who you can point to specific career choices forget the personal stuff which carrie has and eddie murphy has um and just look at like a like a performance i'm really into looking at performances that change an actor's career for either the better but for me mostly the worst like a a performance that a that a career just never recovers from like pacino and scent of a woman well no i think pacino and scarface Oh, Pacino instead of a woman is like the plea to get Scarface out of your system. Like then he became the guy. Yes, but it's so far away from anything he'd ever done. Scarface, interesting. He was playing an old blind guy. What is it for De Niro? Raging Bull. I know everybody thinks the performance is great, but he put so much into it. It ruined Mm. his career for ten years. He didn't. I mean, the next other things might have ruined it too. Go on. Well, just anyone from seventy seven to eighty six who oh sure, but I mean, but but I'm just I'm, I'm just, just talking about assuming. the work. I think you know, obviously, with Faye Dunaway it was Mommy Dearest killed her career. She just never, ever, ever recovered from having like the public couldn't see her in a different way. 
That's interesting. Um, yeah, I that think, is true. I think you know, for Eddie, what would it be? It probably be. I think with Eddie, it wasn't just the performance in Dreamgirls. I think it was losing the Oscar. Yeah, but it, I mean, he was at a different phase anyway. But Norbit, Norbit came out and it made a ton of money. True. You, get, you get the impression in the subtext of the Jim Carrey movie too that he worked so hard to get recognized for the Andy Kaufman performance yep. that not winning the Oscar and the choices he makes after that. He wasn't even nominated. Yeah, he wasn't nominated. But he did right. win a Golden Globe. It was a right. very yeah. strange thing. Yeah. It's actually a kind of a travesty that he wasn't nominated. Yeah, I mean, he has a run of movies there, 97, 98, 99, that are all very interesting and these really, like, going forward performances. But you're right, the, the Pacino one is the most resonant for me because that was when he learned to pitch things up yep. yeah. and then he never could pitch things down again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, I've been acting for 10 years since Scarface. You guys can't hear me? <laughs> right. It's just he never... It's like lots of actors have a performance that they just like they just can't get past either because it was so great or because it was so bad. And then there's Meryl Streep who just shakes it off and goes to the next one. She's right. Well, she I mean, well, she, she, really and she, she had I mean, she She's had MS-12. I mean, she had moments. Right. I mean, and I think, <laughs> I mean, Devil Wears Prada is a performance that like could have uh, oh, yeah. could have sunk her. Yeah. But she's Meryl Streep. She's, I mean, she's apparently unsinkable. That's coming up on the rewatchables. When you come back to LA, we need you on the rewatchables. Uh, I don't know. Just we'll, we'll just, I can just come back. Just come back. Come I'll just come with back. Some dopey person interview and then stay for five yes. days and we'll do like nine rewatchables. I'll do that. Sure. It's great to see you. Nice to see you guys. Sean, thank you. Wesley, thank my you. My pleasure. Bye, Wesley. Bye. One more break to talk about my old friend, Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, flexible. My favorite words to describe. Stamps.com. Why the heck wouldn't you avoid the post office? Why wouldn't you buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer? Why wouldn't you hand your packages to your own mailman right outside your own house or apartment? I don't know. I don't know why you're thinking that way. Just sign up with Stamps.com. It's the U.S. Postal Service right at your fingertips. Any letter, any package, any class of mail, you're in control of all of it. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage and helps you decide the best class of mail right now. Use my code BS for this special offer. A four-week trial plus postage plus a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in BS. Do it. The holidays are coming. You have to. Stamps.com. Enter BS. Sign up today. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, we called my old ESPN teammate, Tom Haberstrow, because we wanted to put a little basketball at the end of this podcast. We ended up going for 47 minutes. So we're going to do something that we've never tried before on this podcast. We're going to run the last 23 minutes of the pod where we hopped around the league and talked about a whole bunch of different teams on this podcast. But then we're going to run the entire podcast, which is 47 minutes, on Ringer NBA show. So you hear the last half of it here, but if you want to hear the whole thing, go to uh, the Ringer NBA show. And his podcast is called The Basketball Friends, and it's on the Leverage to Chat network. So if you want to subscribe to Tom, you can do that. But here's that podcast, the last half of it right now. Don't forget, Ringer NBA show for the entire podcast. Here we go. On the line, my old ESPN teammate, Tom Haverstrow, now of Bleacher Report. What's the name of your new podcast? Uh, it's Leverage the Chat is the company, um, and the new podcast is The Basketball Friends, and we should have some new ones coming out pretty soon, but that one is 
the basketball friends is what I'm doing every day now. Every day? Yeah, I do it uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Amin El Hassan and Black Trey, Waz, Mariano, they do uh, Bomb Mondays, Black Opinions Matter Mondays. And then the rest of the week, we our NBA pod is basketball friends. So okay. try to switch it up every day to give a kind of different different show every day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on it four days a week. Did you have to like take some sort of detox shower? Like when people, when a nuclear reactor comes off, it goes off and the people have to take the showers. Was that what it was like leaving middle Connecticut or no? I mean, we did this show. I mean, you know, um, at ESPN, we had like a daily podcast. Yeah. Uh, they shut down twice. And, uh, when Jade Hoy left this summer, it kind of left this crater. Um, and my contract was up, and I hadn't been potting for like three months. Pretty much all summer, I hadn't done a daily pot. So totally, totally weird stuff was going on. And um, ultimately, it's good to be back with Jade, and it's good to be writing magazine stories. I actually just dropped one five minutes ago I read on Twitter. It. So. I read it right before I called you. It was about LeBron and yoga and these little bubbles that I'm going to get for my daughter because I'm a psycho. So <laughs> explain, explain the yoga bubbles. <laughs> They're crazy, man. Like uh, this video, I saw uh, David McManaman from ESPN. He posted on Instagram. Like the NBA Instagram posted it. Um, just LeBron before games now stands on these clear pillows and does like little basketball tricks on them. And it kind of, it's very bizarre. It's really weird. Um, and it's the most viral video that the Cavs have put out this year. Obviously not much good content coming out of Cleveland right now, Yeah, but like it's mesmerizing. And so I kind of called up a bunch of people in the industry to get the backstory. And I guess, you know, Rudy Gobert, like, going from kind of this like baby giraffe in the NBA to what he is now. A lot of it is just this core workout that he does with uh, Fabrice Gautier in, in LA. And he works on these pillows and they just really sharpen your core. They activate your central nervous system. And it's kind of all these pregame warmups that you see from Steph Curry. Um, it's all in the name of like firing up your, your central nervous system and, and working on your balance. And so LeBron started doing it after he hurt his ankle with his longtime trainer, Mike Mancius. And it's just kind of like alien-like and it's super interesting. Let's go through some storylines really quickly. Do you believe the Cavs defense is broken? Yes. I do too. Yes. Um, you know, we, these teams, when they go through three finals, I watched it with the Miami Heat in 2014 – it's really, really hard to, to get that motivation. It, not only are you physically exhausted from – dude, LeBron James has played 2,400 minutes in the postseason in the last three years. The last three seasons, he's played an additional regular season, 2,400 minutes on top of his regular season. Well, wait, but wait a second. Is it, if you throw in the seven Miami years, isn't it, isn't it like over two additional seasons? With those postseasons, oh, yeah. it is, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm just talking about the last three years. Yeah. Like, the, like, like this is the workload that he's having to do. And look around LeBron right now. Like, it's Kevin Love and Jeff Green and Jay Kraut. Like, I don't know where they're going to get the motivation because you need to have that carrot in front of you to go balls to the wall every night and play NBA-caliber defense because the league is too young 
It's too fast. If you're not running back in transition, you're toast. Look, the NBA right now, the Brooklyn Nets, I just looked this up, the Brooklyn Nets are averaging 105.9 possessions for 48 minutes, according to basketball reference. Wow. 106, let's call it. 106, let's call it. The 2005 Suns, the seven seconds or less Suns, they never got to 107 in the entire season. They got over 106 once. And in the other 81 games, they didn't match the Brooklyn Nets' average pace this year. And it's, you know, Kevin Arnett had a similar tweet where comparing the pace of how quickly it's gotten so fast, um, like LeBron James and the rest of the Cavs, they can't just lollygag. They can't sleepwalk through games anymore because it's just that, that, that much faster of an NBA. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a little hard for people who have been watching the NBA forever to even – fully understand but i'm looking at the stats right now houston's houston shooting 45 threes a game which is like i i it's just like it makes my eyeballs bleed but you're talking I about was at the charlotte game yeah i was at the charlotte game they took 28 three two pointers 28 two pointers the entire game and they're not even shooting that well they're shooting 31 percent from three but they don't care but half the league is shooting at least 29 threes which I think maybe maybe five years ago, that number might have been five or six. And when you're a team like Cleveland and you're taking possessions off and you're taking quarters off and the other team is just getting wide open threes, you know, that leads to the 38-point quarters and stuff like that. I look at them and I, I always try not to panic first month of the season or make some sort of go full hot take on whatever. I just watch that team and, and – the majority of guys in their rotation seem like they're in the wrong situation. And I don't know how you fix that, right? Like, I don't think this is the right the team. You're talking about? Yeah, I don't think this is the right yeah. team or situation for Kevin Love at this point of his career playing kind of like, I guess, center. That's not good for him. He should be next to a shot blocker. Yeah. This isn't the right team for Jay Crowder, who I think was completely overrated anyway. I tried to tell everyone all summer. This isn't the right team for Dwayne Wade. This isn't great for J.R. Smith, who's used to starting. All of a sudden, he's coming off the bench. He pouts through the first three weeks of the season. It's terrible for Tristan Thompson. Um, this is Derrick Rose as a guy who doesn't have the ball in his hands as a spot-up shooter. That doesn't make sense. And then you go on the, from a defensive standpoint, they have so many below-average defensive players. I was We were talking about the ringer office. Just try to make your, your best lineup or your best five calves. I'm not even sure what Hard, that man. lineup is. What is what is the lineup? And LeBron has to like convince himself because I, I think he's gone after this year. He has to convince himself like I'm going to put my body through the grinder for this squad. Like my whole legacy is either rings <laughs> or MVPs at this point, right? Yeah. And he's got to do endure this for the entire season. He's looking around his his shoulder and he's like, they're dropping my slides. Tristan Thompson, man. He had nothing left. He was completely gassed coming into the season. He went yeah. through like games where he had zero rebounds. Um, a lot of people are saying it's the Kardashians. Nah. I have no idea if that's it. I think it's just, dude, the guy played 82 games for five straight seasons and then did the three finals trips. Right. There's only so much a guy, an energy guy can take when you're basically the only big man, like the only center on the roster for three finals trips. It's grueling. I mean, you look at, let me read you, let me read you the last six opponents for the Cavs. Orlando, Chicago, Brooklyn, New Orleans, the Knicks, and Indiana. Right. The last six games, 
117 points allowed on average. Not even good teams. Not even good teams. Orlando, Chicago, Brooklyn, New Orleans, New York, and Indiana. And you know what? If if Hayward doesn't go down in the first five minutes of that Celtics game, I think the Celtics would have put up like 128 on him. And, you know, we wrote about revelations on The Ringer today. Um, we just like uh, different staff members talking about their revelations of the season so far, things they're the most shocked by. I wrote about Ben Simmons because he's actually better than I thought he was going to be. But if my backup choice actually would have been Kyrie Irving, who I was a big believer in, and even before it became it came out that the Celtics had a chance to trade for him, I, I was just in disbelief that teams weren't trying to go after him because I thought I just thought he was one of the nine most important players in the league and somebody who had been in the biggest possible tests and come through. What I didn't fully know and what I was hoping was that away from LeBron with a really good coach, with different kinds of teammates, with a team that challenged him and used him in a different way and and pushed him to be more of a playmaker and ran like little off-screen action for him and all these different things that they did for Isaiah Thomas. I was hoping that that Kyrie would succeed in a situation like that. But it's been eye-opening. I, I, I can't tell you how many times like I've texted my dad and just been like, holy shit, like Kyrie's amazing. He's really good. And I think over everything else, that's what really hurts the Cavs this year because they took off a spectacular player on their, on their team for this Brooklyn lottery pick that might not even be top five and for Isaiah who might not come back till February or March. I think that trade's a disaster. It's looking really, really bad right now. And I'll add that Isaiah Thomas does nothing for their issues. No. Like, I, I recognize that LeBron can't score every time down the floor and he needs help offensively, but their issues are 1,000% on the defensive end. And Isaiah Thomas is not going to help them there. So, you know, the Kyrie thing is funny because I, I wrote this story that Damian Lillard uh, clapped back at me for this summer when I said Kyrie Irving is more Dame than he is Kobe. And Dame Lillard got really upset about it, tweeted at me, said, check my stats, and, and it was it was a whole thing. Yeah. But the basis was that Kyrie Irving is 4-13 and 13 without LeBron James starting next to him with the Cavs, right? So in the last like few years when LeBron was there. Yeah, I read Kyrie your story. I disagreed LeBron. with you. We, yeah, we and, I got testy when I read it. Cause, and, and you didn't call me. But no, I, 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 I'm but. just saying it was in my office. I got testy. No, I, so, I I think it's really hard to play without LeBron James when you're playing with him and he's doing everything. And I don't know if there's a stat that can really account for that. If it's like, you know, if if like you're living at home and your mom cooks for you every night and all she does is cook, 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 and then on Wednesday night she says, "I'm not gonna be home. You're you got to fend for yourself." What are the odds you're gonna make a great dinner? I I just don't think. I think you have to get in the mindset of being able to do yeah. your own thing, you know? Does that make sense, or am I overthinking it? Well, uh, I thought you were overthinking it in the first couple of games of the season because I was this close to doing one of those victory laps heat checks where I was like, Kyrie Irving, 4-15 and 15 without LeBron. Nah. <laughs> well, you know, you know what happened, and this is legitimate. He was really, really upset about the Hayward thing because – for two reasons. One, because I really think the Celtics team thought they had a chance to make the finals. I think they had a great preseason. I think the length that they had, the weapons they had, Kyrie had never played with a good coach before, which seems funny because he won a finals. But 
I think it was just eye-opening for him, just everything that was going on. He was really fired up for the season. He threw the alley-oop to Hayward, and it was behind him. And it was one of the reasons Hayward fell awkwardly. The other reason was Jake Crowder kind of shoved him. But but I think that affected him that first game, and I think it really affected him the second game. I, I think it took him a couple games to play out of it. Man, if you... If you watch him these last couple, I'm waiting for him to have like a 55-point game. And it doesn't seem – he might be wired like Durant. He might not want it. Like I, I remember I asked Durant in a, in a – we did that mailbag podcast about, you know, could, somebody asked, could you ever score 70 points or what's the hottest you've ever been? And he's basically like, I would never score 70. I'm not wired like that. I'm always going to try to make the right play. I don't want to go for 70. And I do. It d- does seem like Kyrie is kind of wired like that this season. He's always trying to make the right play, and they've really worked hard with him on making that driving kick pass to the corners, which he wasn't good at in Cleveland. No. And he's getting better and better at it in Boston. They are really they're dangerous. Like I I, I know they lost Hayward, but I'm really starting to think they could make the finals anyway. Look at his look at his point totals: 22, 17, 21, 20, 24, 24, 24, 22. It's like he's got a governor, right? It's yeah. like he's got a cheat code that he can't score over twenty five points. Which I, I'm with you that it, it seems like he could go off for fifty at every any point. But I think Brad Stevens' system, um, I just think he he preaches ball movement and egalitarian stuff. But you can't tell me that a guy who worships Kobe Bryant and the Kobe Mamba mentality feels like he shouldn't go for 50. Like, you yeah, know, you know, fine, right? I really, I've watched a lot of the Celtics this year. I really felt that way too. And I, I've been so impressed by how often he makes the right play. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think he values that. And there were stretches during Kobe's career when he played like that too. And then he would snap out of it and take 35 shots. So maybe that's coming. But, you know, I think the revelations on the Celtics team are they're just so much better defensively than they were last year, which doesn't totally make sense because Avery Bradley is considered to be such a good on-the-ball defender, but Crowder was overrated. Um, I think that's being borne out The now. analytics did not agree with it. It's like no one, no one was more in disagreement about their defensive reputation than Avery Bradley and the analytics. Like, anal- like the numbers on Avery Bradley on, off court, whatever metrics you want to look at, Avery Bradley is like, it just didn't make sense why, to the eye, it seems like he's a great defender, but none of the metrics really back that up. And now you're seeing Boston thriving defensively without yeah, him. Not to say it's because totally he's a different. garbage defender, but there was evidence to suggest that maybe it was smoke and mirrors with Avery Brad. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I don't know how I feel about that because the eye test does make me think he's a good t- defender. But on the other hand, the, the big difference with this team is now they have length. And Hayward would have played into that too because I think. One of the reasons they really wanted Tatum was they wanted these just multiple long dudes and the ability to switch and to always have six foot eight guys running out on shooters, basically, which is what they have. And they, they have Rogier, who's probably the shortest guy they're playing other than Kyrie, but he plays like he's six seven. Uh Smart, who is a really good defender when he wants to be. And then all these Jalen Brown, Tatum types and Semi, who's been kind of a revelation as a second round pick. And then they have Baines and Teese, who uh, who are just better than Amir Johnson and Kelly Olynyk and guys like that, guys who actually get rebounds. So the team makes sense. It's going to be really interesting to see when Hayward comes back. I, I think the team is being, um, and for the right reasons, really quiet about that. 
but I don't think it's inconceivable he comes back in April or May. I, I think mm-hmm. the fact that they ha- they haven't come out and said this guy is not coming back, cross him off for the season, is pretty interesting. Um, and you know, it's a long season. It's going to go through. It's going till the end of June. And if there is a scenario where he could come back, great. If not, I still think this team's pretty good anyway. And we know the East isn't good. I mean, we were talking in the office. Who the hell is going to win the East? You would say like, oh, Washington. And you watch Washington, and it's like they have literally no bench whatsoever. John Wall is a little too – I like John Wall, but I don't know if he's your go-to guy in a finals team. Um, Milwaukee does not have the supporting cast or the coach. Uh, Toronto, maybe? I I don't know. Who do you think? I think it's going to be Washington. Um, I think they'll work out some stuff, work through some stuff, and I think they could potentially go for like a boogie trade at the deadline. Yeah. Um, wow. And so I, I, I like their I like their upside, um, and I just like the continuity that they have. Where the Boston Celtics, that's where they've most impressed me is that they have the number one defense right now, Bill, in the NBA with yeah. two guys who are basically rookies. When right. we get on when we get on the Timberwolves for for being a, a garbage defensive team under Thibodeau, the reflexive thing is, oh, it's a young team. You're relying on young guys, but we don't hear that about the Boston Celtics. Right? right. They have a new team. Almost entire rosters turned over. They don't have Avery Bradley. They don't have Jay Crowder. So far, they're the number one defense. We'll see if that continues. But it's so impressive uh, their start this season with all the moving parts and the trauma with uh, with Gordon Hayward. Well, I think it's a 100% chance now that they lose to Oklahoma City tonight after all the praise that we've showered <laughs> on the Celtics. Any other teams that have surprised you? Um, I'm not like Minnesota's defense is really, really disarming to me. It's really. I wrote about Tom Thibodeau and his and his burnout factor, uh, my last story for ESPN, and I expected them to be better this year defensively because of Jimmy Butler. He's been out in and out of the lineup, but I'm really surprised that people are still picking Carl Towns as the generational talent of this NBA, like the young stud. I mean, for right. two years running, I think the NBA GM picked him as the guy they want to build a franchise around. But their defense is garbage, and at some point it's going to come back to Carl Towns where it's like, all right, man, you got to bring it defensively because we've seen Embiid be out of the league for two years, bring it defensively, and we've seen even Porzingis, like, like there's actually defensive evidence there that they can do it. I don't yeah. know if uh, I don't know if Thibodeau, if he can't get Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins to play defense, I don't know who will. One thing that's the – re- the reason I don't think anybody can say who's going to win the East is I still think there's going to be a couple of monster trades – and Minnesota is a team that could be involved in one of them. But uh, I think when you look at the East, Milwaukee definitely has a trade to make. I think the Celtics yep. are positioned now because getting this $8.4 million injury exception from Hayward, I would expect them over the next 10 days to just sign some random dude for $8.4 million. I mean, it could be like freaking Ty Lawson. doesn't matter. Sorry, Tate. Um, just <laughs> sign somebody who's a cap figure and – you get that guy for eight point four million. You can now you can stack a couple more salaries. Now you can go get, you know, I don't know if I'd want Eric Bledsoe, but somebody in that price range. Um, I think Orlando's a team that could make trades. Milwaukee has a bunch of different ways that they can make moves. You go on down the line, it it just feels like out of all the years, after all the trades we've had, 
there's still going to be a couple of trades that that could kind of shape where we're going. And I think San Antonio could be a contender for that too. What it, who do you think is the most likely person to get traded, Boogie? I think Boogie's there. Do you, have you seen his numbers? I mean, he's an MVP candidate. He looks miserable, and, and his teammates look miserable playing with him, but he's putting up giant numbers. I, listen, 30 points, 13 rebounds, 5.9 assists, 2.3 blocks, 2.1 steals, wow. and 2.8 threes per game. Wow. And it, the threes are going in. That's the shocking thing. It, I can't believe these big dudes are shooting threes. I remember it's crazy. In the early '90s, I remember Mikhail because he was getting old. Just occasionally would throw up a three, and it was always like the craziest thing that happened in the game. Like, oh my god, Mikhail made a three, and now he would probably take seven. You know, I don't even I mean, know they, what his style would be now. I remember watching Boogie early in his NBA career, and he'd run like a coast to coast, and shot. It was shocking to me because at Kentucky, I didn't see that. And then I was like, well, this guy has some like weird big like point center skills yeah. and then now he's showing it like he like if i told you a guy in the nba is averaging 30 points 5.9 assists and 7.6 threes attempts like you're thinking oh maybe that's like clay thompson maybe that's a two guard that's boogie cousins right now I mean, the Jesus. league is so like they've got these giants and i'm it's tough because Giannis is in a small market boogie cousins is in a small market um, you know, I know, I know Embiid's in Philly and he's a superstar, but I feel like, you know, that these guys are not being in small markets. I don't know if people can appreciate what kind of skills we're seeing out of these big men. These seven footers are freakishly talented. And I think Boogie playing next to, uh, Anthony Davis without any wing players, uh, no, no distributors. Drew Holiday wants to play the two. He doesn't want to play the point guard. That's that's the team that's going to have to make a deal. God, that Drew Holiday contract was dumb. I, it's really, there are teams that have just, and this has been something that's been going on for most of the 21st century. These teams that have just done a complete disservice to their superstar. I think LeBron is the greatest example of just all the moves the Cavs tried to make to try to make do a win now type situation. And New Orleans did the exact same thing with Anthony Davis. Just, hey, oh, we got this guy. Hey, we overpaid this guy. And it's like, well, you're on a treadmill. You're not you're not doing anything. You're not building anything. And now they have these two guys and everybody else around them is completely inferior to them. I, I as a Celtics fan, I'm terrified of the Boogie Wizards trade. It just feels it's like it's it, yeah, it just feels like it's gonna happen. I don't know what the trade is. I don't know if it's Otto Porter. I don't know if it's Gortat and Ubre and five first rounders. I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen. But it just feels like Boogie Wall and Beal are gonna be on the same team. That's my fear. And if and if you're Washington, you gotta make the deal, right? Because this is yeah. the vulnerable East. Like if you like if you're looking at a time to strike, it's right now. You gotta do it. Um, you gotta because, put multiple firsts on the table. You just you gotta get it. You gotta get them. You gotta pay full price. You do, and um, and like other teams, just don't have the the young player to throw in the deal, um, and just you know ready play like a young auto like a auto porter, um, where you have Kelly Oubre, who's a, a wing player that can kind of fill in the gap there. Yeah, I think it's a right right time for a trade, and it's going to be sad because like Boogie and Anthony Davis. Kevin Pelton and I, we, we did like an analysis this summer. What are the type of teams that give the Warriors issues? And That's it's it. two twin towers. Yeah. That's it. Right. Crash the board and just have guys just bludgeon you um, in the paint because they're not a great rebounding team. And they got they got skill, right? 
and they just don't have a roster. They don't have an NBA roster, and I think that's the issue. When you, we talk about the medical issues of teams, like New Orleans Pelicans are right at the top of the list where they just, they're, you know, the Quincy Pondexter thing is really, really shady, and then the fact that, like, Anthony Davis is out every other game. Yeah. I think that matters. Not only is it a small market in New Orleans, but you also have, like, guys whose careers just seem to go sideways because they can't stay healthy, and I think that matters for free agents. They're not going to play with, Boogie and Anthony Davis, because I think there's just too many question marks with the front office. Who would you rather have treat you with uh, some sort of injury, New Orleans' medical staff or Philly's medical staff? You know, I know David Martin over with the Philadelphia 76ers. He was a cycling guru who who helped Joel Embiid like rehab. They sent him to Qatar, and he's kind of an out-of-box thinker. I just think there's too many uh, cooks in the kitchen. There's so many medical guys in that front office they just hired a new guy this summer to oversee the whole medical staff. And I like the Jaleel Okafor thing, no one talks about, but he had a, a torn meniscus, I believe, and he was supposed to be out for six weeks, and it turned out to be six months. How does that happen? Peppa, the Ben Simmons foot, uh, all the Embiid injuries. I mean, that, that, wait, Rashad Holmes had something. God, it's Bill, ridiculous. Mark Last Hell question. Fultz, the biggest mystery in the NBA right now. Markel Fultz, how does that happen? It's, it's it's actually legitimately a mystery. It's that's what it is. Ken Berger wrote about it today. It's a mystery. That injury I've never heard of before. It almost sounds like a dead arm in baseball. Like he just shot so many <laughs> shots, his arm got tired. Like he was Tim Robbins and Bull Durham filming Bull Durham or something. I've never He's heard Andy of it. Kofax. I I mean, listen. I don't know for a fact, but I would if I had to bet on a Marco Fultz condition, I would say he is the yips. Just that's it. You can throw any of those. Oh, they did this. He did that. I think he, I think the moment got too big for him. Would be my guess. But the, but isn't the Woj agent story confusing too? When the yeah. agent comes out and says he had fluid drained from his shoulder, and then Woj has to put out another report that actually that's not true. Mm. Like that seems pretty conflicting. Although if it is the yips, that would be the cover up, right? Is making that's, up like physical problems that's my to point. explain it. That's that's my point. Last, last, last question, then we get to go. You're redrafting the draft. Who's your top three? Uh, redrafting the draft this year? Yeah, the one we just had. So, like, the 2017 draft? Yeah, who's your top three? Oh. Uh, that's that. <laughs> is Jason Tatum number one? I think he is. I wanted you to say it, though. Hey. <laughs> I think I know you too well. Um, Jason Tatum looks awesome, and we didn't even talk about him when we got on the Celtics, but he's a teenager. Yeah. And he's doing this. He's 19. I was there for Paul Pierce's rookie season, and he was two years older than Tatum and was not as polished. And Tatum can just get to 12 to 15 points every game by being on the floor, which is really hard as a rookie. It's hard to not disappear game after game as a rookie, and he doesn't. I go uh, Jason Tatum. I go. Hmm. I go. Jason Tatum, Dennis Smith Jr., and then Lonzo Ball. That's how I go. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I don't know what to make Alonzo. I I've never seen a point guard who wants to have the ball for less time than Lonzo does. <laughs> he uh, has. Ronda, like, he, Ronda, he's like, hot potato. Like, the guy who just. Yeah. He's overwhelmed right now, like shooting wise. He's he's shooting under thirty percent. And last night he played uh, like a full game and didn't score. I just I think 
mentally, like he's overwhelmed right now. Being in L.A., I think he's going to get it. I think he's got the package, the skills. Right now, I think the, the scoring isn't there, but I just think he's, I think okay. he's a can't-miss prospect. And I think eight games into his career in L.A. with, with LeVar doing what he's doing, I think he's got a tough, tough start. And he's not 100% healthy. I don't think people realize that either. As he was coming into the season not healthy. So I think this is, I think he's still a top bet in the league, and we shouldn't write him off after eight games. I, I agree with you. I, here's my only question Are we sure he can shoot and dribble? <laughs> Are we sure? Are we sure he can shoot is, and is dribble? Is that really that important in the NBA, though? Is that really that important? I'm not sure he can shoot. I'm not positive he can dribble. He can dribble when nobody's around him, but like he does not have a handle like Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard or people like that. He just doesn't. It's yeah. It's when he gets pressured. I'm amazed how quickly he just gives up the ball. I mean, yeah, but how much is that? Is just he's uh, a teenage. I know we just talked about Jason Tatum. That's what did it in college though. But like, but he was he did this in college too. That was my one fear with him. I didn't understand when Fox pressured him in those two games why he just got rid of the ball. I really like uh, I like marketing, which I I hate myself for making fun of that pick, but I, I actually like his game. I like. I like uh, Jonathan Isaac. I think he's going to be something. I don't know what, but he's definitely something. And uh, my buddy, my buddy on the pod calls uh, calls his name is Mariano. He calls Mark and in uh, Lori Bird. <laughs> calls him Lori Bird. You don't like he the, loves him. You don't like the finisher. Two ends. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you who else yeah. I like. Get ready, Knicks fans. Kind of like Frankie Smokes. I think he's a mm. devastating defender. Wasn't expecting that. Frankie Smokes really gets in your face, makes you do some stuff you don't want to do. I like him. Yeah, and I like the way he carries himself. I like that out of a, a, a rookie in that environment. Like he might think big life, New York, MSG. Like right. I want to, I want to impress someone offensively and score and make a big splash. Nah, he's just gonna grind you defensively. I love it. I also, I think that if Donovan Mitchell was on the Lakers right now and playing under the name Lonzo Ball, Laker fans would be like ejaculating on each other. They'd be losing their minds. Yeah. Oh. Donovan Mitchell's been incredible. I was agreeing incredible. with you until you just said it, Jack. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's late in the podcast, so we just had to throw that in there. But um, <laughs> but he's been stupendous. And you could make a case he's the second best player in the draft if you just go by numbers and tape. Um, or he's certainly the most ready right now to contribute to a good NBA team. Anyway, Haverstro, how do we subscribe to your pod? Leveragethechat.com, uh, also on iTunes, Basketball Friends, and Bleacher Report, BR Mag, story up on LeBron and his moon shoes right now. Go check it out. We almost work together. At some point in life, we'll work together, Haverstro. We're working together right now, man. Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, like, you know, in a more in a more significant way, maybe down the road, someday. I love when all the ex-ESPN people are doing well. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks to Tom. Don't forget, if you want to hear that whole conversation, go to the Ringer NBA show. We're putting the whole thing there. Thanks to Wesley and Sean as well. Thanks to SeatGeek. Thanks to Stamps.com. Remember, there's a better way than dealing with the post office people, especially during the holidays. You need this advice. Go to Stamps.com. Use my code BS for this special offer. A four-week trial plus postage plus a digital scale. Without long-term commitments, go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in BS. Stamps.com. Enter BS. Thanks to Home Depot. In 1924, Husky 
started making things for people who make things. They did it with common sense. That meant adding function never frills, making tools that stand the test of time. 93 years later, Husky is still making quality crafted durable tools, including hand tools that are guaranteed for life. Learn more at huskytools.com. Husky tools found only at the Home Depot. Back again with another one soon. Until then.